good verses tonight. Verses 1, 2, and 4. <clears throat> no, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
Alright, again, have a seat. That's a good song to sing before we begin our study again in Revelation. And so we're going to go to chapter 2 tonight. Finally, we are over chapter 1. It's taken us about seven weeks. We have been taking our time to not rush through as we sometimes can. And so that song is about the Lord coming back. And so it's a blessing to remember that as Christians. One of these days, the battle strike will be over. We'll be in heaven. And it'll be like light affliction. After all, it'll be over and done. Revelation chapter 1. And look at verse number 19. And then chapter 2. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 19. Is the outline of the book of Revelation. Write the things which thou hast seen. And the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The things that are seen, the things that which are, and then the future, the things which shall be hereafter. The things which are in the middle is what he's writing about right now in chapter 2. And so the letter of the Revelation is written to seven churches. Seven churches, seven real churches. And he's going to go to them. It's a personal letter. It's a letter of admonition. It's a letter that is prophecy. So Revelation is a very simple yet complex book, full of symbolism yet full of literal statements. And so beginning in chapter 2, verse number 1, I think I might get through a few verses tonight. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, now we have already seen the definition of the candlestick, definition of the stars, definition of the angels already from chapter 1. And in chapter 2, verse number 1, when it says, Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, seven churches, the one who walks. Now, for someone to walk, you must have life. In comparison and in contrast to who he's writing to, the church at Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, what was Ephesus known for in this time? It was known for one major thing. The huge statue of Diana, of the Ephesians. Diana of the Ephesians has several names. Diana is one of them. Artemis, Ashtar, Astarte. This is the fertility goddess. And the way they built this idol of this woman, she had a body that reflected birth and nurturing and so she was in a way a very grotesque image that was built and this is what Ephesus is known for now when people look to Diana for help when they prayed to it it could not move it could not respond it had ears but it couldn't hear and here John writes and says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden stars. This is in contrast to something that is dead. Now, John is really saying to us, if we think this through, that our Lord, the Lord who is in the middle of these seven churches, he is walking. Can you not think about how important that is, that Jesus is walking in the middle of the seven churches? Well, he's alive. But Diana of the Ephesians, she's just made out of rock. She's dead. And so what a contrast that is. But that's not the lesson so far. The lesson you will find is in chapter 2, verse number 1 again. Unto the angel of the church. Now the word that's going to be strong tonight is the word church. Unto the angel of the church. Now there is once a man named Edward F. Hills. He wrote a book about the King James Bible. He is very scholarly. And one time he went to a church for a special meeting on a Sunday morning. And uh, Mr. Hills was very correct about the Bible, but he was so smart, he was so intellectual, that he could not convey with words what he was trying to say. What was in him, it could not come out because so many things kept coming to his mind. It was all jumbled. It was all like tangled. And whenever you, he would find, he would, you would find him laughing to himself. <laughs> You find him saying things, talking to a wall. And he's thinking about things that he wants to write, 10 different things at one time. And when he began to teach in that one church, he was very hard to listen to because he was all over the place. His mind was so active. He could not, he could not preach uh, because everything was very intellectual. 
Now, you know what John is doing here and what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying not to be like Mr. Hills. No criticism of him. But he was so intellectual, so full of knowledge and truth and trying to put things together, put things in paragraphs. He could not get anything out that made any sense. He could not hold people's attention. He could not teach or preach evangelistically because his mind was way up there in a the cloud, so to speak. Again, no criticism. But John writes differently. He writes the truth. He writes about the future. But he also, when you read it, you have to think about things practical. And it is like that with the Bible too. So I'm going to teach this passage evangelistically, practically. And when he says the church, the church is then, I would say, seven things about the church right now from verse number one. When he writes to the church at Ephesus, I want to say seven things about the church. The church, the church, the church. First of all, the church, it is, it is, in its composition, His composition, the church's composition is made of born again sinners. Everyone in the church is born again. Now, I will say two things about the church tonight in these seven things, and we'll have to listen very carefully because there is controversy about what is the church. In the church, in the body of Christ, it is made up of born-again people, all right? Now, uh, that is the composition. The composition of the church is seen in two ways. You have the body of Christ. In the composition, it is the body of Christ. And then you have the local assembly, the local church. There are two aspects to the church. Now, here's where the division comes in among Baptists especially. Now, a lot of Baptist pastors do not believe that there is such a thing as what they term the universal church. They believe in the local church especially. Now, if someone were to ask me, do I believe in the local church or the universal church? My answer is yes, which is like, what? Let me explain, because there is no real, let me put it like this. Everyone has a bias of some kind. It's not necessarily wrong. When it comes to the church, we see in the New Testament that everyone who is saved belongs to the body of Christ 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Let's look at that reference. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Let's begin at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and 13. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now, we would think verse 12 is about a local assembly, a local church, but let's read verse 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Now, in a local assembly, a local church, do you have Jews and Gentiles? Yes. Do you have people of different nationalities? Yes. Now, keep reading verse 13. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, now, in the church of the first century, did they have slaves, Christian slaves in a local church? And did they have freeborn people in the local church? Yes. But now he says here, in this body, there's not a Jew or Gentile. There's no one born, uh, bond or free. And then watch this. And have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now, what you're reading here is about a body, a body, the body of Christ that is seen in Everyone saved is in this body, a spiritual body, baptized into the body of Christ, put into, immersed into spiritually. And this is not water baptism. Now, the other aspect of the church is that it is a local assembly. Much of the New Testament is about this. When Paul went about on his three missionary trips, he went to establish independent, autonomous, local churches. All right? The church at Ephesus, the church at Thyatira, the church at Colossae, the church in Galatia, and so on. Okay, local churches is what he started. So there's a strong emphasis in the New Testament about the local assembly. There's no argument about that. And so we have to see it in both terms. So my answer is yes. It was not a joke, really. It was about just being truthful. I believe in both aspects of it. Now, um, another thing about the church. Some people believe that 
we should not name the church the church. The church should not be called a church. The designation or the naming of a church should not be church. We should not call the church a church. Did you know that experts tell church planters, experts tell existing churches to revise the name of their church to more reflect something uh, of an emphasis of sort? One other reason why people want to change the name from church to something else is because there has been problems in churches. Of course, well known that the Roman Catholic Church is known for a lot of the abuse among the priesthood. That's been going on for decades. It's come to light. And so people say, oh, church, oh, man, I don't know. I knew somebody who got abused by Catholic priests. I don't want to get involved with the church. So they think the problem is the word church. Well, it is a fact that churches have problems. And the Catholic Church, it's a fact that they have covered up for decades priests doing evil. That's a matter of record now. It's not a matter of debate. And so people have shied away from naming a church a church because they want to distance themselves from the stigma of a church abusing people and so on. Let me give you some, some names of churches that are, how are you supposed to do it nowadays by the experts? Number one, we're going to take away the name church and add something else to it, but it's still a church, they say. Uh, a softer, more welcoming, more inviting thing to go to rather than church. Church has this impression of cold and stiff and no quote fun no enjoyment uh, let's call it the fellowship let's call it the ministry let's call it the chapel family life center the journey i've seen churches called the door oasis the flock overcomers open house abundant life center christ fellowship city of refuge fountain of praise free chapel here's one called regeneration quote the name will appeal this is what the experts say the name will appeal to the young members of society who want to live their Christian lives in a modern way on their terms. Yeah. How about that? On their terms, while still following the Word of God. How is that possible? I do wonder about that. I'm going to follow the Lord on my terms, but according to the Bible at the same time. Can I tell you something? Sometimes following the Lord means not doing what you want to do. Right. Sometimes it means you got to, oh, wait a minute. I have to conform to what the Bible says instead. That's right. But this regeneration church will appeal to the person who wants to let go of traditional <coughs> church rituals, but still serve God and enjoy worship. And so these are some of the things going on in modern times in, in the name of the church. Now, I'm not saying that these people are bad people or they're not saved. I'm saying that at all. There are some good churches that are not Baptist churches, <coughs> but they're Baptist in what they really practice and do, but they don't call themselves Baptists. There's like that around, you know? There are Bible churches in North Carolina that are solid, like independent Baptist churches, maybe even better, but they're not called Baptist churches. And so, but people want to change the name. Here's one called the Burning Metal Foundry. A church called the Burning Metal Foundry. The church that's all about you. <laughs> that's kind of quirky. The church is all, it's not all about us. Right. It's not all about us. It's about Jesus Christ. Here's something else about the church. When he says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, I'm thinking about all these things. It is a local assembly. Uh, it is a called out assembly of saved people. Now, let me ask you this question. Let me think this through with you. I have an answer, but when someone belongs to a local church, that's a Bible-believing church, does that person have to subscribe, agree to every doctrine that the church teaches? That is my question. Okay, I heard a no, I heard a, I saw, I heard a head rattle. I mean, I saw a head go like that. Okay, all right, anybody else got an opinion about that? All right, it's, I'm not gonna be mad if you have a different opinion, but the question is a sincere one. Uh, does a member have to agree to everything that the church says in its doctrine statement or in the statement of faith? Let me think this through without love. I've thought about this a long time ago, and I've thought about it recently. If a person wants to join, say, uh, an independent Baptist church. Our name happens to be Independent Baptist Church. There are others that are independent Baptist churches without that name, but they are. They might be named by location, but they are in effect an independent Baptist church. But ours is called that by lack of imagination in the beginning. And so uh, we have a doctrinal statement. 
We have an abbreviated statement. We have a full statement with every verse to detail every statement that is made to support what we say we believe. And then we have a um, statement. It's about uh, how Christians in the church, how members of the church should conduct themselves, church covenant, where church members promise to live a certain way, honor Jesus Christ in generally. That's what the statement's about. But the doctor statement is about theology. What? I didn't hear you say you have to agree with the doctrinal statement of the church. Yeah. What did I ask? You think we have to agree with everything that the church. Yeah. Okay. Agree with everything. Okay. Clarification on theology. Now, I think I know what's on your mind when I said uh, agree with everything the church says that it believes or teaches and so on. It's going really to this here. So now the question specifically is, does a member have to agree with every doctrine that the church says it believes in its doctrine statement? That is the question specifically. The answer would be yes or no. Yes. Now think it through before we answer because there is a little bit of consideration to this. Okay, have you thought about it already? So a person comes to me, Pastor Ching, I've been coming and I would like to join the church. I'm glad to say church, but to join the church. By the way, the reason I was going on about the church name is because uh, John here says, uh, the Lord says, uh, unto the angel of the church. And so, kind of stick on that one, the church. I like the word church. But if someone wants to join the church, then there is a little process. It's a simple process, but it's a necessary process. Okay, that person is really saying, I like what I'm hearing, I like what I'm learning. I agree with the teaching of the church, and I want to be a part of this church, I want to support the church, I want to be involved in the church uh, when I am able to do that. But essentially, people join the church because of the teaching of the, of the doctrines. Sometimes they join because of the music. Sometimes they like the, the fellowship, they like the, the, the gatherings, and get, they like that stuff, they like that, sometimes they like that stuff. Sometimes like that over the doctrines, over the theology. Sometimes like the music over the theology. The theology should be the, the core of a church and why a person belongs to a church, the theology. That should be the foundation of it. Now, the question is, should a person have to agree with everything that church believes in its doctrine statement? Okay, if everyone is here on a Sunday morning, we probably have the same kind of reaction. Half would say yes and, I'm sorry, Three quarters say yes, and one quarter say no. Now you need to ask, where do I stand? I'm standing right here. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. I would say, this is our doctor's statement. Read it, let's meet, let's discuss what we agree on, what we don't agree on. Now here's why I say that. It's because everybody, everybody, on a few things, don't see things eye to eye. Now, first of all, if a person's saved and needs to belong to a local church, that's a good thing. What is our reason of being here as a local church? Is it to isolate ourselves because we're so unique and so special and so dogmatically correct in our theology that you cannot be a part of it unless you absolutely agree to every jot or tittle that we say we believe in? That's one way of looking at that. Now, if we look at it that way, here's what practically we lose. Now, you might say, well, this is compromised talk. No, 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 you gotta think this through. Do, do you not, do I not want to help people understand the Bible? The answer is yes. Do we not want people to learn and know what we know to be true? The answer is yes. Other than being saved, do we not want them to learn this over here? The answer is yes. How, how would they learn what you know and what I think I know. How would they come to learn, oh, yeah, I didn't see that before, yeah, oh man, I, I went over that and I, I am so glad you taught me this, Sunday school teacher. I am so glad you learned, I, I learned these things because I'm not, now look, people may have come with a little bit of differences of things, and I'll, I'll continue this thought, and yet they agree with 
more than what they disagree with. So they believe in the deity of Christ. They believe in the shed blood of Christ. They believe in the God, the God, God the Trinity. They believe in so on. See, they believe in salvation by faith. They believe in certain things that we would say are major issues. They don't believe in baby baptism. They don't believe in women preachers. They don't believe in speaking in tongues. Well, wouldn't that be a person like, okay, come. You can grow with us. Come, you can learn with us. Now, here's the condition. <clears throat> oh, before I get to the condition, I want you to know, I would want someone to agree with our church doctrine statement, to be a member, but I'm also old enough and now wiser than 25, 30 years ago to know that people need to grow to understand what you think you understand. I want to give people a chance to grow, to learn something. I want to have a chance to open the Bible and show them from Scripture what the doctrine about ABC is. I want to agree with them. I agree with it, but I have to have a chance to do that. Now, on the other side, so my answer is, I am willing to let someone be a member of the church that doesn't totally agree with the doctrine statement. Condition, it has to be, what do we not agree with? Now, I mentioned... Well, uh, sprinkling the babies, baptism, the method of baptism. Well, we have to agree on that one. That's important. Uh, lady preachers. Okay, a lady wants to be a part of the church, and she believes everything else, but she believes God has called women to preach. Now, what do we do about that one? What should I do about that one? Should I say, yeah, we can work around that, or should I say, or should I say, no? Here's what Paul said. Here's what God said. See, I have a choice. I know what I'm going to choose. A woman will not usurp authority over a man. That is a given. That is no compromise on that one. That's serious. That's important. Let's take another issue that we cannot compromise on. But then again, if a man has a background that's not Baptist, so on, comes from a charismatic background, and the person wants to, he's come and he wants to grow. He, he likes what he's learning. He's never heard. He's, and he wants to be, he wants to learn more. But he has a charismatic background. Now, if I know that, and we go with a doctrine statement, and we cover speaking in tongues and miracles and things like that, and I say to him, now, I know that you come from this background, from the Benny Hinn background, the, all this stuff, you know, or like that. I said, look, we're not that. We don't believe the Bible endorses that for today. It's not the norm. I said, now, if you want to be a part of this church, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot promote speaking in tongues. You cannot promote healing people. You cannot see. Now, if the guy agrees with me, what should I do? What should I do if he agrees with me? If he says, I'm going to subject myself to the word of God, what am I going to do? Am I going to say, no, I'm sorry, your background is not, your heritage is not so good. Listen. The church is not to just pick off people from other Baptist churches because they believe the same. We're at the region to our world and there's people who have been in false doctrine. I want to help them to get straightened out. Now, if they want to come, my condition be, okay, used to speaking tongues for 25 years, but now we don't. I said, look, you like rock music? We don't have rock music. We don't have, we don't have praise bands and worship bands and all that kind of stuff. If you want that, if you want that, don't come here because we're not going to give it to you. That's what I'm going to say. I'll be kind. I'll be a gentleman. I'll say, look, that's not what we do here. We want you to be here. We think we can help you grow. But you have to understand, this is not what we're about. It's not about you and me appeasing you and appeasing this person, appeasing this person. This is not what this is about. This is about us believing that we have correct theology, correct doctrine. And if you want to learn that, you're welcome to come and learn. And if you join, you have to be willing to submit to what our doctrine statement is. You may not personally agree with it, but you cannot promote it. You cannot promote your stuff. You cannot promote your stuff. You cannot promote speaking in tongues to somebody. You cannot have lunch with someone and say, you know, you know, your pastor, he's kind of too narrow. You know, he says we cannot speak in tongues, but you know, I have been so close to God because I spoke in tongues. You cannot do that. And that's what I would tell him. And you like rock and roll music, you like rap music, you like contemporary music. I said, okay. We don't, we don't, we sing from hymns. We sing from hymns. I say, we don't have what everybody else seems to have. We're not going to appeal to everybody like that. I said, we have convictions about music, music style, worship style. And I'll tell this person, if you want to be a part of this church, you know what you're getting. 
there's not be any surprises from us to you. But if you want that, and you can learn to get along with that, and not undermine things, okay, that's a different story now. Now it's more thumbs up now. So you see the difference over here. I hope you see the difference, because there is a difference. And the church is not for perfect people. The church is not for people who know everything. If they know everything, they don't belong in church. They belong in heaven. Not everybody knows everything. But yet we have to have order. Because the Lord does not deal in confusion. But he's a God of order. And there's a body of doctrine that people should comply with. A church then is an assembly of saved, baptized believers. And membership is composed of people who are all saved. Now, the distinction between... The distinction between... The body of Christ and the local church, some differences is one. In the body of Christ, I mentioned earlier, everyone is born again. Let's say all. Right? In the local body, guess what? Not all are saved. Right. This sounds weird, but it is true. Did you know you go through a process of, first of all, making sure that the, the person who wants to be a member is born again? When did you get born again? What are the circumstances you got saved? How do you know that you're saved? Do you have scripture to support that you are saved, etc.? And uh, they can tell you all the right answers, but sometimes you just don't know, and sometimes you are fooled. In the local body, not everyone is saved that's on the membership role. In the body of Christ, well, in the first place, to be in the body of Christ, you had to be saved. That's how you got in. Everyone in the body of Christ is saved, but not everyone in the local church is. Here's another difference. Everyone in the body of Christ, um, let's see, everyone in the local assembly, uh, let's see, everyone here is not in a local church. Not everyone in the body of Christ is in a local church. Sometimes it's impossible. Communist country, a situation where you cannot assemble together because of persecution. You have to meet individually, things like that, all right? So you cannot have a traditional gathering on a Sunday like you do in America. <clears throat> now, in the local church, in the local church, what am I doing here? Yeah, in the local church, the difference is uh, everyone in the body of Christ is in Christ's body, but not everyone is in the local assembly because of that reason and other reasons. They, they don't see that they need to belong to a local church. They don't see that they agree with everything the local church teaches, so they just stay home. And they have Bible studies, and they have fellowship meetings, and they drink coffee at Starbucks, and talk stories, and talk Bible study, and they watch online, or they listen to this and that, and that's their church. And their reasoning is, well, we're all one in Christ. We're all in the body of Christ. And so the differences are, ladies and gentlemen, is that in the spiritual body of Christ, everyone is there because they have been saved, and but that doesn't mean on earth. Everyone is in the local church. Should they be? Yes. But is it possible at the time? No. But if it is possible, should they? Yes. All right, so this is important stuff. He says, unto the church, angel of the church, the church at Ephesus. And so there are a lot of things to think about when you think about the word church. Here's something else. Here's something else. Um, the church is autonomous. Here's a, here's a big word. Autonomous. That means it is self-governing and under the Holy Spirit and under the Word of God, under the headship of Christ. It is self-governing. This is in opposition to a denomination. Hmm. Or a, a hierarchy, uh, some some entity, some headquarters that is over a local church. Autonomous means a local church under the headship of Christ. They get to follow the word of God, led by the Holy Spirit. The people get to decide to do things because they're a local self-governing church. Headquarters cannot tell the church, you cannot do this, you cannot teach that, you must do this, you must do that, so on like that. Now, there's a man who was in Hawaii as a pastor. He turned 60. He turned 60. When he turned 60, he had to resign because the the group, the association he was with, in its bylaws, it says 
that when you turn 60, you must give up your church, you must retire. So that church no longer has him as the pastor. They wanted to keep him, but they couldn't keep him because of the denominational setup. He had to resign, he had to retire. But they wanted him to stay, but he could not because of the structure that they were under. But what if he wanted to stay? Being under that structure, he could not. What if they wanted to stay? Which they did, he could not because of the structure that they're under. So the local church is autonomous. They should have had the freedom to say, Pastor wants to stay. He would say, praise the Lord. I said, as long as God keeps me here. Amen, everybody's happy. But not in that setup. He couldn't do it. He's out of here. He's gone now. That's not Bible. That's not New Testament Christianity. And so it is self-governing. It is autonomous. All right, here's something else about the church. When John says, when the Lord says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. The church gets my attention. It is not a denominational headquarters dictating to the local assembly. It is the church running, operating under the authority of Jesus Christ. The church, uh, it represents the Lord on earth. The church, Ephesus, look at verse number 8, 2-8. The church in Smyrna, look at verse number 12, 2-12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, look at verse number 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, and then on you go till you have seven churches listed. There's more than that at this time, but he writes to just seven. In other words, there are seven churches in these different places, Ephesus, Thyatira, Pergamos, and so on. Now, there is, there is no one church that represents the church, like the church of Rome, like the church at Church of England, Anglican Church. No, 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 it's not like that at all. There's not a state church. It's a local assembly. And they represent the body of Christ and Jesus Christ in that location. Now, the church, the church, uh, there is, there are churches that believe that they are the only true church. What churches are these that say they are the only true church in our time and since the mid 19th century? Well, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. Three letters. The other one is two letters. Okay, three letters, LDS. LDS or Mormon. They believe they are the true church because they have the, the gospel. They have the gospel given to Joseph Smith in the latter days. And so, they believe they're the true church. Jehovah's Witnesses believe they're the true organization of Jehovah. That's true. You also have uh, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. They believe they're the true church. And they also believe... That when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, he is speaking as if God is not speaking. Well, they believe they're the true church. Now, uh, the Church of Christ believe they are the true church. In fact, the Church of Christ, they are so firm in their conviction, they believe that you are not saved unless you get baptized by their ministers in the Church of Christ. That's pretty, that's pretty strong to say that. You can't be saved unless you're baptized in water. And you're not saying this is our ministers that baptize you. So they believe that to be very true for them. And so there's many local Bible-believing churches around the world. A lot of them King James Bible-believing churches. But none of them would say, we are the only true church. They wouldn't say that. They're not silly enough to say that. The church. Uh, there are many ministries of the church. The many ministries in the world, number five. There are many para-church Ministries. Uh, they're not churches. Uh, a paralegal is someone who works in the attorney's office, but that person not a lawyer. They are an aid to the Lord. They do a lot of secretary filing things like that and write letters and typing calls and stuff. They're not a lawyer, but they are paralegals. And so there are ministries that are not churches. They have no pastor. They take no offerings. They take no tithes. But they do things. They, they print. They print Bibles. They print literature. That's good literature. There are people that are good in financial counseling. They have those ministries. Uh, there are people that have trade ministries where they teach people, young men, how to use tools and how to fix cars and all these kind of things. There's mission agencies and there's government policy watchdogs. There are Bible colleges, music training, and helps ministries. 
They're not churches, but they help the church. They could not be considered a church, but they help churches. Some people are so strong on the local church. Where am I? They're so strong on the local church that they dismiss a lot of these parachurch ministries because they're not a local church. They do believe, I believe this, that it's through the church that the word is evangelized, but you need the help of parachurch ministries to help evangelize the world through the local church. Tracts are printed not by a church, but by a publishing place, and the church gets it, and they pass it out, and people get saved, and so on. So it's through the church. Uh, a parachurch ministry is not a church, but it's not a problem. It should be helping the church, supporting the church to do its work in this world. And so those are some things to think about. Now, these seven churches, the Lord says, I'm going to say some things to you. Now, look at verse number one. Now we get to move on to verse number one and two again. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Verse two, I know thy works. Okay, first of all, when he says I know, how does he know? How does he know? How does the Lord say, I know? How can he dare say, I know? How could the Lord know? I'll give you two verses. Proverbs 5.21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Proverbs 15.3 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding, beholding the evil and the good. Well, very plainly, God, being who he is, is omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's all-seeing, he's everywhere. He can't help but know everything. And so the seven local churches, from his heavenly throne, he looks down and he sees and he knows everything that goes on in these churches. That's why he can say, I know. I know something. What does he know? He says in verse 2, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them that are evil, and thou hast tried them that say they are apostles and are not. Imagine that. People say they're apostles, but God says, you're not really apostles of mine. You're false apostles. Imagine that. You know, now these people claim to be anything under the sun in the name of Jesus Christ. And people just swallow everything up without checking things out. Well, and has found them liars. And has borne, verse 3, and has patience. And for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Now, uh, in verse number 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest, hatest, hating something, yeah, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What? I'm, I'm dumbfounded here. He says, as a commendation in verse 6, you Ephesian Christians in this church, you have hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, that's something to learn about. The Bible and about God and how he is towards certain things. So how does he know? Because he sees everything. He hears everything. He knows everything. And what does he know? He knows verse 2, thy works and labor and patience and so on. So he knows everything about these churches. And as John writes about the things that are, he's going to reveal to them, the Lord is to these churches, the things they've done right, the things they are doing right, and the things in which they have fallen short. You know what First Peter tells us about when he says in verse number, let me give you this verse here. When he says um, in verse number four, nevertheless, all of a sudden, this is a change. You've done this so good. I know your works, your love, labor, love, and patience, and so on. But he said, nevertheless, it's like saying, however, but you've done this and this and this right. That was so good of you, but... Why does the Lord say that? Why does, why does the Bible say, okay, good, 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 yeah, thumbs up, but wait, why does he do that? Why does the Lord point out a black dot on a white piece of paper? <coughs> you think people are feeling good and their ego will be stroked. You think people are feeling encouraged by, that was a good job you did. You, you have patience, or oh, you are so faithful. That was so, that's such a blessing to me. And then it says, however. That kind of is like a setback, however. You tell a kid uh, who did a quiz, you know, and, you, and you're doing it in front of him. Uh, good, good. Oh yeah, good. You read, you got, yeah, good, yeah. Okay, well wait. <laughs> when you say okay, but wait, it's like <clears throat> my grandkids are like that. They're so, they're so regular humans. You, you, 
they come up to us, interrupt us, little Ethan, he does this. And Miranda's teaching um, Timothy math. He comes up with a picture. Grandma, 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 look what I... He just interrupts. He's so excited. And then sometimes he's gotten, what is it? Oh, that is so nice. And he just beams. And then I tell him. I tell him. He comes up to me in my office. I tell him. He walks right in. Now they're told, you knock before you walk in. He comes up. He's so excited. He's got a raccoon hat on. He's, he's dressed up like a Marine or something like that. He's so excited. He walks up to me. He says, Grandpa, what? Look, look, look. And I say, what are you doing here? And his face drops. And he looks like he's going to cry. He's afraid of me. I said, you're supposed to knock, right? <laughs> Go back and knock. So. Come. Then I smile at him. Now, kids are like that, and the church is like that. We're so happy when the Lord praises us and commends us. But when he says, however, nevertheless, it's like, oh, you mean, you mean, see? That's how we are. The Lord is going to tell these churches what they did right, what they are doing right, but there's also the howevers. Judgment must begin in the house of God. And so he shines a light of examination upon the churches, honestly showing what's good and what is not so good. Now, remember this. John was not the examiner. John is just writing what the Lord told him, what the Lord is seeing. And so... There's no, there, there should be no problem with the Lord saying, nevertheless, nevertheless. Now, practically speaking, I have to end here. Practically speaking, when that happens to us as, as Christians, or even as a church, it kind of puts us down a notch. And let's say that the church has done something really good. Maybe the church, um, yeah, whatever it would be. And there's acknowledgement for that. Okay, that's fine. And then we're feeling pretty, pretty proud, pretty good, pretty like, yeah. But then something happens and it puts us back in our place to remember that God is everything, Jesus is everything, and we're really not much within ourselves unless the Lord helped us. We should stop taking credit for ourselves and remember that God gave us the strength, the ability to accomplish something, provided for us to do that, and so we have to keep that in mind. And so when the Lord says nevertheless or however, then uh, that is a reminder for us. It's a gentle reminder, actually. It's a gentle reminder to, hey, remember who you are. Remember who I am. And that's always a good lesson for us to remember. So the letters to these churches, that's just the beginning of the first letter, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, he would then give them instruction. He gave them commendation. He gave them a gentle rebuke. And it gives instruction. Let me look at that one with you and then I'll stop. Look at verse number five, two five. After he says in verse four, nevertheless, I have someone against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Look at verse five. Remember therefore, instruction. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. Instruction. And do the first works. Instruction. And then there's a warning. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Instruction. Look at verse number seven. <clears throat> he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, there's a lot to be said the next time, because there's no time tonight. But I'm going to cover what these verses mean. But you do see so far, there is instruction given encouragement along the way and that's the nature of our Lord it's because God does care for us and loves us and wants us to be the best church we can be the best Christian we can be uh, to God's glory okay any questions all right well that's it tonight I'm glad someone was listening by that camera and so that is Revelation 2 verses 1 or verse 1 really Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Yes. Help us, Father, to appreciate it, to practice what it says. We sure thank you for giving it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.